And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law. This is the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your hosts, Michael Campbell and Greg Howell. All right, welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast. This month, we are going back to the archives, trying to dig around a little bit. Um, I, I honestly would love to spend more time in the archives. Michael has access in ways that I do not because I'm on the West Coast. He's on the East Coast. Uh, living li- living almost in the archive building itself. I mean, honestly, Michael, you've got you've got access. You're referring to the General Conference archives as well as the North American Division. I mean, archives, I mean so. the Library of Congress. I mean, you're every time I turn around, you're you're sending me cool new pictures of old letters and people's handwriting that's hard to read. I love it, and 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 I'm and I'm jealous is what I'm saying because because you can just go there on your lunch break. Whereas I would have to like plan a major excursion and and fly out there and, and live in three time zones, you know, like anyway, today, uh, aside from my jealousy, we're here to talk about some cool old stuff that Michael has been able to find. Uh, we're going to be looking at a, an old guy named Butler and Albertsworth and some great stuff. So yeah. Michael, why don't you now, now I feel bad. I feel like I'm going to be rubbing. Ah, no, 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 <laughs> only only in friendly jealousy. But otherwise, I I'll find uh, stuff. Right. I'll find stuff. You know, you're always ready. You can you can come out and uh, and crash with us. Exactly. And do some research in the archives anytime. You know, I, I definitely will. So what? So what have we found well, today, Michael? You know, I've been going through uh, some of the old uh, archival boxes at the General Conference archives. Man, I mean, there's just so much stuff. I could tell you about some stuff I found at the Library of Congress recently, but we'll save that for another episode. But what's been particularly fun is I'm going through uh, and trying to write um, a couple of encyclopedia articles recently. So um, on on William Miller and the Millerites, and then also on, on the North American Division, how the North American Division developed. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that there was a North American Division all the way back in 1913, to 1918, as our church was developing divisions, there was a North American division. So what I thought would be good to do is just kind of slow down a little bit and start processing through some of those records from about the time of the first North American division. Of course, uh, if, if you're aware of this at all, it, the, the, it, it's kind of complex, but kind of basically merges with the general conference. And at various times, there's different amounts of you know, there's a vice president for North America. There's all kinds of different things. Sometimes there's a committee, sometimes there's not. Um, that's neither here nor there because that's that's for a different project. But but what I thought it would be fun to do, Greg, is slow down and try to read through the letters of, of I.H. Evans, who was the first, shall we say, North American division president from 1913 to 1918. And actually use that terminology. You'll look at the letterhead. There's letterheads, and the letterheads are so cool. Sometimes you'll find uh, pictures and all kinds of stuff. They were very creative. And so half the fun is just looking at these letterheads. And then, um, yeah, so Evans is one of the, uh, is the vice president of the General Conference, then North American Division uh, president. He'd been a missionary in China. So I thought, you know, it'd be fun to go through his papers. A lot of people go through the president and secretary, uh, all of those record groups for the officers. They don't always go through some of these other ones. And and sometimes in these other collections that are generally kind of in comparison, neglected or overlooked by a lot of scholars, sometimes you'll find a few things, some little historical 
vignettes and tidbits that uh, just because they're not well worked through that um, people may or may not know have been there. And and so sometimes they're just filed away, tucked away, and and um, they're just in these folders. And and the way the a lot of archives, including the folders that I'm working through, if there's a lot of letters on somebody, there'll be a whole folder on them. But for a lot of them, there might be just one or two letters, and they end up in these uh, folders called miscellaneous. So usually by the last name, you know, it'd be A miscellaneous or B miscellaneous, and then you might have several people with file folders in between. And uh, sometimes miscellaneous folders are just a rich treasure trove, Greg. And so there are uh, two individuals, you mentioned them already, um, that I found something. I found something that was really, um, really quite amazing. And I think a lot of our listeners who are interested in Adventist history might find um, a lot of fun. The first is a letter by um, A.F. Albertsworth. A.F. Albertsworth. And if, if, if Help us always this AF Albertsworth. And why do we always have yeah, the abbreviated first my, my names? My homebook on the 1919 <laughs> Bible Conference in 1922, I've I've got some sections on him. And I, I consider him basically, Greg, the first bona fide real Adventist historian. Now, if you're listening to this, you're like, well, what about Loughborough? What about these others? Well, this is not to sound like snobbish or anything, but, but I kind of call them chroniclers, right? So they're chronicling history. But, but Albertsworth is different in that he has formal historical training. He has gone to school and studied history. And this particular letter is cool because it's a letter to Evans, who's the president of the North American Division, saying, hey, thank you for your personal interest in me. And the letterhead is from the University of Chicago. So what's he doing in Chicago? Well, he's studying church history. And he actually reports back to Evans. He's obviously having a good time. You know, I'm, I'm studying with, and I quote, the country's famous church historians. And, uh, and, and he's talking about, I have a, a course with the, on the early church with Dr. Moncrief, a course on the Protestant Reformation with, with Dr. Christie, who will become a famous church historian, writes a bunch of books, right? Um, and two courses on New England religious history and even the history of Catholicism and Protestantism since the French Revolution. So um, some a little bit more modern church history. And so he's learning, he has a class on historical methods. And, and so what's amazing is you start seeing, here's somebody that's getting some serious training in, in history and archives and research and everything else. And again, to my knowledge, he is the first person to to do that. He's the first Adventist I know of actually becomes a member of the American Society of Church History. If people want like a lowdown on this guy, I mean, I wrote a whole article on him for the new Encyclopedia of Seventh-day Adventism. Just go on there and type in Albertsworth. You can get the whole biography. But but this is a, a whole new level of, of detail. I mean, I knew he had gotten some training. I didn't know exactly where. Now we actually have some courses. And at the end, he kind of thanks them and Thank you for your kindness, and uh, thank you for encouraging the school, the church, uh, which is Washington Missionary College. Obviously, uh, Evans would have been uh, on the board of trustees and very influential. They had set aside some money for training uh, their faculty. So he's one of the very early faculty members, and so they're investing in him and his education. And then uh, Evans writes a letter how happy he is. He talks about his own son who is going off to study graduate school at uh, Columbia, I believe it is, um, in New York City. So he obviously values and appreciates education. So th this is pretty neat because I, I think we have to remember 
that um, our pioneers weren't anti-intellectuals. They weren't against yeah, learning, yeah. Uh, but they, they were uh, for the idea that we should have some of our, our best and brightest and most committed young men and, and women, having them get the training that they need so they can go back to our various institutions and provide really quality Adventist education. So he gives a little update, a personal update. Uh, obviously, Evan's very personable individual, cared deeply for, for these other people, uh, giving a little update on his own family and, and, and encourages them, keep specializing in church history. That's that's pretty cool. You have actually a church administrator saying specialize in church. Get, get out history. there and learn it. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just learn history or write about history, but actually to specialize in it. And and so really, um, I again, I say, you know, he's he's really the first um, religious or church historian in our Adventist past. That 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 you definitely see that that's different than anything that you see before. And of course, it'll be quite some time afterwards before you have some other people who will uh, kind of follow. Um, I was going to say he's way. he's so, first in a in a line of people going to University of Chicago. Even like there's quite yeah. a few after him that take the same. In the 20th century, there was a whole bunch of people that all go yeah. to Chicago. Everybody from Mervyn Maxwell to uh, more recently Ben MacArthur, who is my major professor when I was an undergrad student at Southern, well known Adventist uh, scholar. Uh, more recently, Lisa Diller, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Peach. I mean, there's a whole bunch of Adventist scholars over the decades that have gone to Chicago, but but definitely he's the first one to go uh, to Chicago. And and his, um, like you said, his yeah, class just, list is like reading a who's who of church history, uh, big wigs. Oh I mean, goodness. I was like, good grief, who, yeah. what what kind of classes could you have gotten back then? That was amazing. Right. Yeah. So um, so again, the miscellaneous folder. Just this random, actually, there's two letters with the responses by Evans, but uh, just a, a fascinating vignette into Adventist historiography. And for those not familiar with that, that's the study of history or how people have written and and thought about history. Uh, and and so this this is really um, this is really in my mind. For, for Adventist historians, this is uh, quite a huge find. All right, so we've got Albertsworth here. We've got some really great stuff going on with that. Um, those serendipitous moments in the miscellaneous file. I love that. What else have, we, uh, been, have you been pulling up, Michael? Well, the other thing I, I found just uh, really fascinating were two little tiny folded up letters. And they were the back of a miscellaneous folder, a different one. And as I'm looking at it, and I unfold the letter very carefully, uh, but as I unfold the letter, I realize I look at the end, G-I-B. <laughs> <laughs> and one of Which the letters we should all we should all know. And one of the letters says twin magnolias. Mm. And and if anyone has done any study on Adventist history on G.I. Butler of 1888 fame, you will um, or in infamy, uh, you will know that yeah, I was say. <laughs> <laughs> that after the whole debacle of as that that kind of goes down that uh, he, his wife is very, very sick. He becomes sick. They move down to Florida and buy a uh, citrus farm and he calls it twin magnolias. So GIB twin magnolias, obvious giveaway that this is mm-hmm. GI Butler, former president of the general conference. And there's not just one, but there's two letters. Now the, the second letter uh, I think, and, and timing of this, look, at we, yeah. what, what data we got on these? The first one's May 31, 1916. And the second okay. one looks like it says 
December, but it looks like it's kind of crossed out and it's responding to another letter in December and then it says seven. So I think most likely we're dealing with a letter. Uh, this is the challenge with, with, with letters is, you know, they're human constructs. So people are hand, with their own handwriting, you have to decipher it. And uh, so most likely, I think this is January 7 of 1917. So very beginning of the next year, but they, letters were part of a series of, of, of correspondence, right? So he's writing to Evans, who's the division president. He's asking for permission, basically, to go out and speak at some camp meetings. He's been invited, okay. but you know, he's a former general conference president, for goodness sake. You know, I mean, does he really <laughs> need to ask for permission? But but he's trying to be politic. He's trying to, you know, is is it is it all right? You know, and and following protocol. The, what's that? Following protocol. Following keeping protocol. It all I, mean, I mean, you expect nothing less of a former church president, right? You know. Right, uh, right, and and so yes, yeah, so and he, he was always a good rule follower, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's known for that. Come on. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> anyways, the the long story short is that um, that uh, he is he's aging. He's he realizes he's aging, and uh, he says, "I want to go forth and into the final fi my final years um, as a laborer." rather than as an aged ornament. <laughs> I love that phrase. I, I can keep investing in the work. And in fact, he says, I rather prefer um, to, to, to stay busy. He even says, you know, that's why he enjoys working on the farm. He can stay busy. He keeps talking about this. But, but then the Lord keeps calling him back. Uh, to continue to, to labor in various responsibilities. And of course, after his wife passed away, they asked him to become the president of the Southern Union, the Southern Publishing, a whole a series of different things in his later years where he is making um, making a contribution. So so that's that's kind of interesting just in and of itself. The other thing that's really interesting is as he's responding, writing this letter to to Evans, uh, kind of telling his story, he's it's giving him a chance to kind of share a little bit of an autobiographical uh, narrative, um, and and so and and he does that in this this letter as he's going through it, he's he's recalling and and this is where I think it's especially very interesting. Um, uh, he says over thirty years ago, now this is nineteen sixteen, so this would have been the eighteen eighties, right? Uh, mm -hmm. when, when Ellen White, she travels into Europe, he travels to Europe. Um, over 30 years ago, when I was president of the General Conference, Sister White was in Switzerland. She wrote me a lengthy letter in her own hand, all upon one topic. And then underlining, he writes, my health. <laughs> now you have to understand, Butler's got a long and complicated history about his relationship with Ellen White, but he always mm -hmm. ends up on the side where he wants to support the prophetic gift and 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 take the prophetic gift seriously. And sometimes that's a little bit complex. It's complicated. It's not always very easy for him. And she and he writes this this memorable statement in this letter. This is his memory of this. I remember one sentence. This is from Ellen White. Elder Butler, you must take care of your health for your gifts will be needed in the closing work. And then <laughs> now, do we have this letter or is this referencing an Ellen White letter we no longer have? I haven't been able to find it yet, but hmm. maybe maybe it exists somewhere. But I don't think we have that letter. OK, but, OK, well, I'll do some double checking on that. But I haven't I haven't seen that. So and it doesn't surprise me. It would be a letter that we don't have. Sure. 
personal personal letters and yeah uh you know dealing with a very personal matter and, and if she wrote it out in her own handwriting of course in her later years as she had more assistance she had more ability to make copies of letters and and that kind of thing so it, it's not surprising or it wouldn't surprise me if we don't have a copy anyways but for him it was pivotal mm -hmm. this this prophetic counsel this letter that came to him and he said that sentence greatly added to my perplexity and what it really meant i didn't know and i'm quoting this letter here to be sure my health did break down and i closed my office as president of the general conference with nervous prostration greatly to the regret of many of my leading brethren in fact uh he goes on to give some of the experience here and he's now referring to the 1888 general conference session right he he doesn't attend it because his health is yeah. broken down right he's not right. able to actually be there um the nominating committee of the general conference uh, three noble men uh, of, of the truth jay fargo jerome fargo he would have been michigan conference president at one point jb goodridge of maine some of my very best friends, all highly respected for faithfulness and good sense, wrote me from the famous Minneapolis meeting. I was not present at, and he underscores that meeting, but <laughs> underlining again, broke down with nervous prostration, with my temperature mm. from 102 to 105 degrees. So he's got, he's got a terrible fever. Who knows? Maybe he has malaria. It's hard to know, hard to prescribe things after that length of time. But he <laughs> remembers it. He's, he's just... He's deathly sick as far as he's concerned. He says he's got a fever of 102 to 105 for a month to six weeks um, and just able to barely crawl out a letter. And it says, they wrote me three times, urging me to consent to take the office again. That's president of the general conference, right? I replied to each letter, it is no use. <laughs> and then he says, I was so broken down that Olson was finally chosen. Now. I find that very interesting, right? I mean, he's, this is his personal anecdote of remembering how 1888 happened, right? So obviously there's a lot of drama and, you know, there's whole message of righteousness by faith, a more Christ-centered emphasis and stuff like that. But what I find very interesting, and as soon as I found these, by the way, I, I, I sent these off to, to Denis Fortin, respected, beloved scholar, friend, Adventist historian, and he's in the final throes of a new biography on G.I. Butler. By the way, uh, I've chatted with him, and I think some point later this year, as it's getting closer to the release of his biography when that comes out, at some we point, totally, uh, we've asked yeah. him to get jump on our podcast with us and give us that first sneak preview. So, so knowing he has a biography in the works, I, I, I sent this off to him right away. He's like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. He was just so this excited, right? Um, <laughs> And so I, 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 I hope I represent that rightly, but I, I could definitely tell the enthusiasm right away. He was, you know, <laughs> it's, if you're working it's an original letter, letter yeah. And you get some letters about that give a little bit of detail on a, such a crucial part of that person's life, right? Right. Well, the thing that's amazing is, is that church leaders, as I understand it, it wasn't very clear before, because um, the traditional historiographical narrative is Butler and Uriah Smith, were the old church administrators that were stodgy that you know were just hindering the work and so ellen white and uh, and uh, and others just you know basically wanted to get them out of leadership because they were the problem right and so mm -hmm. um and 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 then you know johnson wagner go and take their message to the people and everything else and and and, and so on but but this actually gives a very different perspective now realizing that of course, this is Butler's memory and everything else, but 
but I, I, I it's, it's what's clear is that the church leaders and you know the general conference is voting saying, hey, we want you to continue. So even whatever the theological issues and stakes that were at stake. Um, through that whole Minneapolis meeting, um, Ellen White and, and the rest of the church leaders there, obviously um, they vote and ask him to continue serving. And again, not just once, not twice, but but three times. And I think that says something about Ellen White's leadership because the whole rest of the letters before, during, and after, Ellen White is a strong supporter of Butler. Yeah. She sees hope in him. She sees She has confidence in his leadership. And, and what I like about Ellen White is she can disagree with other church leaders and not be like, oh, I don't like you, so I'm going to push you out of office. Yeah. That was not who Ellen White was. She and, tried to work with people where they were. And and the letter doesn't seem like he felt that way about her either. No. Like, if, he, like fact, if the narrative was really she pushed him out, you would think he'd be upset at her still. But he's clearly, in this letter anyway, talking about her positively, saying he believes clearly her prophetic voice. Yep. I mean, it's it's as and, positive and, of an Ellen White letter as I've ever read on, yeah, on Butler's side. After his recovery from his health in the 1890s, after he recovers and his wife, who is basically an invalid, he had to care for full time, after she tragically passes away, what does he do? Is Ellen White pushing and nudging him back into church leadership because she mm -hmm. obviously sees the talent and his potential and his contributions to the cause as a church leader administrator. And so that kind of, we see that continuing on. And, and I think this is actually, this is actually really, really crucial because I, I kind of wonder if sometimes in our narrative of the whole 1888 saga, and I'm not saying it, it was a saga and it was, a you know, it, there was opposition and it wasn't, it definitely was not one of her uh, better general conference sessions. And in fact, she talks about how she is shamefully treated and 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 uh, even the Holy Spirit and everything else, how the message of Jones and Wagner was resisted. And, and these are unfortunate things. These are most unfortunate things. But at the same time, I also wonder if sometimes in our narrative in the 20th century, we care so much about later issues like righteousness by faith that we've gone back and maybe we've made the whole 1888 saga, we've reinserted into its significance what we want it to be important for in the 20th century, rather than maybe the narrative as to how the actual participants would have viewed and remembered it. Because the admonishment that Butler's most concerned about and was most shocked about was his own health. Like, hey, you're a valuable part of this cause and, and you need to take better care of yourself and better care of your health. And, and, and Butler's like, oh, well, I, I think I'm fine. You know, thanks very much. And of course, he doesn't heed the prophetic warning and suffers the consequences. He actually, his health does break down. And, and, uh, and he sees that as the central narrative, central issue through which all of this, uh, the window through which he understands and interprets the whole Minneapolis 1888 saga. And again, I'm not saying that all the theological issues weren't important. They were, although obviously, Butler wasn't there himself, but it's a huge, huge uh, little historical detail that there were these three big asks by church leaders saying, hey, we still need you. We want you to continue in leadership. Uh, and, and clearly, Ellen White is a consistent supporter of Butler, even though she realized he has his flaws. And, and again, I, I really admire that about Ellen White. As you look at her life, as you look at how the church developed over time, that, that Ellen White wasn't like, oh, I disagree with you. So, man, I'm going to take you out. <laughs> or I saw a vision and I saw that you're, 
you know, making some mistakes. Well, she she didn't view her uh, role as as a prophetic voice of of, of Adventism as kind of the I'm I you know. Uh, if you listen to me and obey what I write and warn you, then you will then suddenly be good um, and you'll have positions of power or influence in the church. Um, actually, quite the opposite. Ellen White seems to take a very humble approach. And, and yeah, there's problems and church leaders have problems, but she's working with them where they're at. And again, we just see this whole pattern of how Ellen White works. And, and I love that. And of course, um, the shocking part was her counsels to him about his health. And so um, I, I think that's really, um, it's important. It's important to understand. And again, it doesn't completely rewrite the whole narrative of 1888, but we do have a little bit more of a historical detail, nuance, a little bit of uh, maybe flavor or texture, we might say, that helps mm-hmm. us just better see a little bit of how whole, the whole 1888 thing goes down. Nice. Can I point out, uh, this was something that stood out to me in the letter, and I'd love to hear sure. your feedback on this. Yeah. Um, I noticed at the beginning of his letter, at least the one from, what, May 1916, mm-hmm. he was mentioning going to all these these camp meetings and stuff, and he he said something, which I thought was interesting. He's 80 years old, 83 or, or 81, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he said to, to uh, Irwin, he's like, I don't really know if I should be going to some of these camp meetings. I'm going to go... Because, you know, I, I, I've been doing these for years, but he's like, I was never cut out for, for, for just showing up to be the ornament, like he mentioned there, right? Yeah. He says he takes these calls in his old age, um, but I'm not sure that I should be going. And he kind of even mentions here, he's like, I didn't feel any great impression of duty. I didn't have any real spiritual blessing uh, and, and no show of divine help. What, what I hear him kind of saying is, I'm too old for this. I don't have any real burden to push and I don't feel like God's giving me a message per se, but I'll do it anyway. Yeah. And I hear that at the very beginning of the letter, but then what's interesting is that in Ellen White's admonition about his health, he really focused in on you will have something to offer in your old age, right? Like that's the thing. She's like, you need your health because you're going to be called on when you're older to come back into the work. And it's kind of seeming like this juxtaposition where he's holding on to that 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 letter from her saying you still have a purpose, but he's saying I kind of doubt it because I don't really have anything to say here. Uh, what do you hear in him kind of wrestling with here? Well, you know, this is the challenge: is uh, that generation of church leaders are fading off the uh, fading off the scene, right? And so mm-hmm. I think what he's wanting to know from Evans: Do you still find my my contributions valuable? And and probably the reason he's asking. I'm sure he didn't know this because this was in a private letter to another church leader, but Evans is writing uh, to somebody else. Uh, and, and this is part of the fun. He's actually writing to a confidant, a close friend of his. And um, he's talking about the last fall council. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's just reading bit, these little bit of letters, you know. Uh, autumn the, councils. They're autumn great. councils, the color <laughs> and texture. Now he's talking at Sevens, writing to his friend confidentially, writing about Jay and Lofbro, the uh, you know, mm-hmm. early Adventist preacher and missionary and, you know, and chronicler. He writes the earliest histories of Adventism. And he says, uh, and I quote Evans, his effort was extremely feeble. He could not be heard more than half his half the time. Elder Haskell came to me and said, what an awful pity that Brother Loughborough should want to speak. I thank the Lord that he has given me sense enough to know when I should speak and when I should not. It seems <laughs> a pity that the elder 
cannot understand that he is beyond the age of usefulness. Mm-hmm. I think when I get old like that, that I will have sense enough to retire. Ouch. Ouch. It's painful. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, he's just embarrassing himself and nobody's willing to actually tell him like, hey, brother, yeah, for you to kind of sit down and just listen. And you've kind of... Uh, so I think with that letter, you can just imagine Evans, he's the division president. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's the man at the time. He's the 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 the, the head of the, the work in, in North America. So um, and <laughs> so there's obviously a little bit, you know, like, you know, some of the old timers, they they really need to just kind of step aside. It's time. It's time. It's time. And uh, their <laughs> usefulness is gone. Time to retire. And so I'm sure that's in the back of Butler's mind. Maybe he even heard or maybe he. He might have, uh, maybe he was there, you know, I don't right. know. And so he, he kind of knows, well, um, and so he's, I think he's probably genuinely asking like, hey, uh, if you want my services, let me know. And if you don't, you know, I'll just keep working on my little citrus farm in Florida and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's hoping, I hear hope in this, you know, because a bit he, of hope, right? He keeps, he keeps holding on to that Ellen White quote, your gift will be needed in the closing work. Like he's hoping He's more than a citrus farmer, but he's not sure. Right. Know, and, yeah. And so he's, he's asking, he's asking. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and of course Evans does reply and, you know, encourages him to go out. And so obviously Evans still appreciates and understands that, uh, that Butler still has um, the indefatigable Butler still has uh, some, some energy and usefulness uh, for, for the work of the church at that time. Um, the second letter, obviously, is a little bit later. Uh, it's also later because um, it's a little bit, it, the timing would be right for the beginning of 1917 or late 1916, because that's when they're discussing the need for a new clinic for medical students and nurses to get practical training, not just theoretical training, because the College of Medical Evangelists, what today we call Loma Linda, was and still is in the Inland Empire of California, but there's hardly enough people there for them to be able to do their clinical training. And so they got really docked by the uh, Medical Accreditation Association at the time, which was closing a lot of kind of uh, medical schools that couldn't raise their standards. So they realized to keep going, they needed to have clinical, medical clinical training. And the best way to do that would be to have such a clinic in uh, much closer to Los Angeles. So they're doing some uh, aggressive fundraising for a hospital, even though funds were really tight. And, and Evans, he was a policy man. He's like, you know, we don't do anything unless we have the money raised. That's the policy. We're avoiding debt. Uh, you know, we have too much debt already. So we just um, keep in mind, this is uh, the early bit of World War One. So these were hard times, you know, yeah, it was hard economic times. Yeah. And um and so they're they're like you know we should do this and and Evans is kind of uh, querying uh, Butler and not just uh, Butler but many other church administrators across the division because you go through his correspondence he's writing literally hundreds of other church leaders uh, back and forth and he's asking them all the same question but but uh, he obviously writes and, and is asking Butler how do you feel if we name a hospital after Ellen White what is being proposed is the Ellen G White Memorial Hospital. Today, we still actually do succeed. Today, we have the White Memorial Hospital in Los Angeles. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, and it does help the Loma Linda achieve the accreditation ultimately that they're trying to, to seek after. But it gives Butler a chance once again 
Remember, his big <laughs> beef, according to his memory, at least at this time, was the whole importance of, of healthful living, the health message, how his health had broken down. Um, and so he, he remembers, you know, how instrumental Ellen White was in advocating for the development of health and health institutions in early um, in early Adventism. So, and, and if, at one point, I quote, Sister White has been the apostle of this health movement among our people and the world. Light from heaven came through her to our people on this stupendous subject. I like that, stupendous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and so he sees this, um, as she's a, a catalyst for change within Adventism to live more healthfully. And again, he focuses especially on the, uh, on the spiritual aspects of, of her contributions. Um, at one point, he, he does uh, kind of um, uh, acknowledge, again, a little bit of his own journey. I, I like this. This is what you dig this out of these, these letters and transcribe it. Um, it is certainly proper this is on page three to give some public evidence of our appreciation as a prop as a, 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 a to properly appreciate her earnest and faithful efforts along health lines. God has greatly honored us as a people by giving us a genuine prophet to lead out in this branch of our work. For my part, I have long ago got past all squeamishness and cowardice about acknowledging my belief in her prophetic gift, that grand and blissful life she lived before the world has left its impress upon even those not of our faith and in highest in the esteem of the world. So again, he's going on and he's, he's explaining, you know, this is, this is really important. We see um, how she made a difference in the world, both within the Adventist world and outside of Adventism as, as our health institutions bless many people outside of the church. Again, he sees this as, um, you know, here is, um, an example of a great contribution of the prophetic gift. And by the way, he contrasts that with Joseph Smith, the Shakers, mm -hmm. uh, and Christian Science, and so Mary on. Baker, um, yeah. Between those and and Ellen White. So um, again, just it's it's a huge, huge um, kind of little window, a vignette, a insight into um, his view of the prophetic gift at a very crucial stage in the development of Adventism. Of course, they didn't know at that time whether Loma Linda would make it, the College of Medical Evangelists. It, it's kind of dicey. It's dubious. It's not yeah. looking so hot. Uh, <laughs> at that particular juncture, it could go either way. And, and so Butler's all in. Butler is all in, says, we need this clinic, and that he thinks it's just a, a stupendous <laughs> idea to affirm uh, their appreciation. Now that Ellen White has passed away in 1915, she just died not that long ago. What a great way to honor her memory through an actual medical work that will help Loma Linda survive and, and thrive and also continue blessing people through health and healing and wholeness. And again, remains one of our major Adventist medical centers in North America, uh, continues to exist. I was just out there a couple of weeks ago just popped in because I wanted to kind of just look through the lobby at some historic items that are on display there. And it's uh, really, really cool to be able to, to kind of just see that and and think of this letter that I was able to just recently discover a few weeks ago. Yeah, the, the, his, his vision has worked out, right? You can uh -huh. you can tell he, he jumped on the right on the right horse for this one. Now, Michael, going through all these things, it, it, seeing these letters that kind of pop up and have been you know, restored to at least the consciousness of 
Adventist historians, I, ha I can't help but think, looking at our own time, we've got a lot of letters out there, stuff that's going to slowly crop yeah. up over time. And, yeah. and, 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 and we don't have always the means with which to get to some of these things or even in the manpower. Um, I, I keep looking at this from a couple of different angles and I keep thinking, how much are we losing you know, because we have a paper age that we can still go through in these archives. The papers will still be there, hopefully. But hopefully. most of our church's documentation <laughs> these days is what? Digital. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and as a historian, I got to say, I get more and more scared because hard drives crash and, and servers do. go offline. And we don't, we, are, we, are we keeping or is this the kind of stuff that keeps you as the archivist up at night? It does keep me up at night, um, Greg. I'm glad you asked that because that's the kind of thing that I'm actually talking about and, and worried about, right? Because, yeah, what happens when people retire and they take their hard drive with them or they whatever? And and so we've been talking about strategies about doing this. And, you know, there's always the, the letter of the law and then the spirit. You know, how do we – and the spirit is, is how do we in good faith do our very best uh, both to fulfill our legal obligations, because as organizations, we have to, you know, keep all of our legal records, but even more than the legal obligations, just to make sure that we really do preserve, because if time lasts, that people want to kind of come back and say, hey, there's a Greg Howell and Michael Campbell, were they even Adventist historians? Would there be anything <laughs> that would right. clue anybody in that we were kind of into that in and, and 2023, right? And I don't know if there's anything on paper that would say we are. On paper, right? Other than books that we write, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right, Greg? So that's that's the question. And so we are asking those questions. We have discussions going, ongoing discussions. In fact, I'm working on our retention schedule for the North American Division and how do we encourage all of our organizations across the division to make sure that they're doing their part in helping to preserve those records. And by the way, if someone's listening and says, hey, you know what? I've got a box up in the attic of old diaries or letters or whatever. Uh, reach out to Greg or myself or that's, we Please. love stuff like that, right? <laughs> I mean, in fact, that kind of gets us excited at, uh, oh, yeah. and, and, and that's part of one of the most fun parts of my job is someone calls and says, Hey, I have this stuff. What, what should I do with it? You know? And I just, I just had that happen last Sabbath. Actually, no a guy kidding. in our Sabbath school class asked me, uh, he used to be, I'm not sure. I think he worked at the publishing house up at Canadian, Union University, oh, CU, back in CU day, yeah, mm -hmm. CU CU days, right? Canadian Union College, sure. and he said they're getting rid of a bunch of the stuff, and he wondered if I'd be interested in the bound collected copy copies of the youth instructor that he's got up there, and yeah. I was like, totally, let's, yeah, <laughs> I mean, people come up to us like that, and that's the the moments where we're excited to be like, what's gonna come in the door? Who knows? Absolutely. So, and uh, who knows, you know, future episodes we can highlight and feature. I mean, uh, there's a new book by David Trim, super excited about that and the early development of Adventism. And again, mm -hmm. I mentioned 410, Dr. 410, working on a new biography of Butler, several really great new uh, resources that are coming out ongoing. And so we want to keep highlighting those kinds of things and keep highlighting new discoveries from the archives. And uh, who knows, maybe someone's listening to something that they'll share with us that could be featured on a, on a future episode. But that's the joy of Adventist history is there's just so much out there that is waiting to be discovered and to be able to, to work on together. It makes the, the whole field of Adventist historiography uh, just, uh, there's a lot of work to do. And so I encourage our listeners, you know, uh, reach out, preserve the things that are in your sphere of influence that you can. Maybe it's at your local church or your, your school. Maybe it's from your family. Maybe it's uh, doing an oral history with a missionary that might be retired in your community. 
Um, all of those are kinds of examples of things you can do to help preserve and promote our Aventus past. Nice. Well, Michael, thank you for this window into the archives. Uh, a lot of people think it's just boring, old, dusty stuff. And, you know, maybe some of it is. But there's always those nuggets of, of amazingness that just crop up. But, by Appreciate the way, Greg, before yeah. we're done, I want to make sure a covenant that uh, if I ever get too feeble to speak, I don't want anyone saying, <laughs> <laughs> like Elder Haskell did about Jane Lockborough, <laughs> he is, is beyond his usefulness, beyond the age of usefulness. <laughs> And that he should have the good sense of retirement. I want you to be my accountability partner. If I, um, I, I pray and hope and it's going to be soon so we don't have to worry about this. But if I ever get past the point of usefulness, Greg, will you be that person to, to, to just tell me? As I'll a do it, man. All right. <laughs> I'll be like, Michael, it's time to sit down. Go and spend some time reading. You've earned it. Just, just right. go by. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you for listening to this month's Adventist Pilgrimage podcast. As always, we love it that uh, you're interested enough to take some time and let us into your brains. But we we just have a great time here with this one. So next month, we hopefully are going to have some new stuff, um, possibly a new interview, but I won't spoil any surprises on that one. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. And Jesus himself said that he did not come to do away with the law.